Hello and welcome to episode number five of the Into the North podcast. I am one of your hosts, Noobzors, joined by my co-hosts, Spleenface. Hi, everyone. And Sick Robot. What's up, guys? And Null will be with us for our next episode. Unfortunately, he could make it to this one. You know, doing lots of trading places right now, but <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get we'll get a podcast with all four of us, uh, all four of us on eventually. Yeah, it will happen. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's let's jump right into housekeeping. Um, so for housekeeping, just just one item today, and that's uh, GP Niagara, something we've been talking about for a while. Um, you'll find uh, Spleen, Sick Robot, and maybe maybe me. It's kind of in the air. It's, it's kind of up in the air right now whether or not it'll be there. But um, what what will really encourage me to go is if lots of you guys are going. Okay, so. Uh, you know, make make a let us know. Let us know if you plan on making it to GP Niagara. We already know that quite a few CDH players are going to be there. Some names that that you guys might be familiar with, but yeah, we're we're looking to have a uh, or those of us who are going and then if I end up going, we'd be looking to have a, a a sweet weekend of just you know jamming CDH and hanging out with other community members. So uh, yeah, definitely definitely let us know if you're going, and uh, we look forward to seeing you there if you are. All right, one more piece of housekeeping. Uh, special thanks to River May Cry, who pointed out that last episode, we may have lied to you a tiny bit. Uh, we're sorry for breaking your trust like this. We hope you can forgive us. But Alms Collector actually has a very special replacement effect uh, that applies before you draw any individual cards. So when you have the interaction between a Notion Thief and an Alms Collector, the Alms Collector applies first. Uh, this also happens if you have cards like Dredge. You cannot Dredge and then also draw one card from the Alms Collector. Alms Collector happens first, uh, and this is a good lesson for you and for us. Check the Gatherer page, read the rulings on cards, because often they'll tell you useful stuff like that. And I think I think that's a good point also to make that we're probably just not going to be containing that, that segment anymore. Um, we, we decided that it's... It's it's going to be we'll 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 um we'll bring up those subjects as topics when we think they're appropriate. But um, as a full blown segment, I just don't think or we don't think that there's going to be enough topics to continuously bring up. So that was a good little trial run, but uh, that's it. Thanks for the feedback. It really counts. <laughs> yeah. Um. So on to new developments. Some interesting stuff going on. Uh, right now and uh perhaps perhaps i guess sort of breaking news at the time of this recording is the uh commander advisory group charter and uh spleen why don't you let me give us a, a brief little thing on that uh sure so uh just today uh sheldon came out with an article about the uh, commander advisory group charter it's over on star city games so i recommend if you're interested that you go and read that obviously we can uh, link it in the description um, a lot of it is sort of what you'd expect, uh, you know, just what the, it lays out what they're going to be doing, you know, when they're doing it, looks like they're going to have four meetings a year, uh, with the RC and the commander advisory group, uh, which means that there'll be a lot more, uh, you know, formal interaction, uh, between sort of representatives of the community and the RC. Um, a couple things I just wanted to note, uh, the first is one of the, elements in the charter is that individual commander advisor group members are free to publicly discuss their own inputs and recommendations to the rules committee. 
opinions and recommendations of the other members will be left to their discretion. Uh, I think that that's a really good choice, um, just giving everyone the freedom to say, you know, what they're pushing for, what they believe, uh, just allows the community to, I mean, first, they're less likely to be blindsided by changes, uh, and it allows for more community input. Um, so I'm glad that they're not sort of trying to keep everything secret. Um, yeah, well, also a lot of the, the members of the CAG are, uh, are content creators themselves, right? So they're, they, they really want to be able to, I, I've heard from some of the other content creators like on their platforms that they want to be able to, they, they wouldn't have done, they wouldn't have accepted this role if they weren't able to share their thoughts and make, make content about it, which I think is a great move for transparency for the rules committee. Yes. Um, they, they did specify that the commander advisor group is not to share uh, specific rules committee member votes, uh, but that's not surprising. And I think that that's a reasonable concession to privacy. Uh, the other thing mm-hmm. that uh, was in this article that I think is just a really good sign in general uh, is this following paragraph. One thing, uh, this is Sheldon. One thing that I hope the CAG can truly contribute to is eliminating some of the polarizations that's happened within the format, the long-standing competitive versus casual argument. I confess that in the past I've fanned those flames, and that was a mistake. We can't make commander to all all things to all people, but we can certainly find a place in which we respect each other. This begins with the recognition that there's more than one way for people to enjoy themselves. I think that this is a really positive message, um, and I'm really glad that he's seems to be coming around a little bit and sort of acknowledging that maybe in the past he's maligned the competitive community somewhat unjustly. Um, And so I think this is also a good sign that the very real efforts that members of the competitive community have been putting in in the last few years to uh, really eliminate, to make a positive impact impact and and to uh, eliminate these stigma negative stereotypes yeah. i think that it's a sign that it's working and yeah. i think that that's awesome yeah this is a big step forward. yeah i'm really happy about this development it's yeah this this is this is i think this is one of the best things we could have hoped for out of out of this new uh the, the keg it's having having actual rc members you know have recognized their previous bias and be willing to at least you know Try to try to live amicably with competitive players instead of just pretending we don't exist. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to see how this how this shapes up. Um, okay, so moving on to our next new development, which is dredge chaining, which is a new uh, piece of tech I discovered for, or not really tech, but it's a new technique I discovered for Gitrog, and as actually reshaping the way um, some, or at least reshaping one of the cards we include in how we win the game, which in the past has been something that. Um, we, we've sort of, Gitrock players have moved towards win conless versions, which is where you would go with like Ulamog loops and then winning through beats the following turn, you know, stripping their hands, stripping their permanents, and then just winning through beats. But now with dredge chaining, the kind of imperative is to have a instant speed black outlet card, um, which is a bit strange for Gitrock players who, who are become accustomed to win conless because you're running cards like Ebony Charm, Funeral Charm, Geth's Verdict, Necromancy, which have been kind of optimized up the list for a while. The idea behind dredge chaining is that in the cleanup step sculpt, uh, you, when you when you gain priority and you can cast a spell, you'll go down a card, right? And you need to maintain eight cards if you want to continue the, the sculpt. So if I was to cast Dark Ritual Oblivion Crown, um, I'd go down to six cards in hand, and then I can't uh, actually continue the sculpt if it got countered. What dredge chaining does is it allows you to 
go up to um, what, like 10, 11 cards in hand, depending how many spells you plan on casting. Um, so it works like this. You go, you got your eight cards or your seven cards plus uh, Dakmore, and you're going to want to find your Dark uh, Ritual and your Blooming Crown. Then you're going to discard Dakmore, dredge Dakmore. If you hit a land, you're going to keep doing this until you hit a land. Then you're going to uh, dredge a Golgari Grave Troll. Then if that hits a land, you're going to dredge a uh, Life from the Loam. So you're going to go up cards using, you're going to go up dredge cards uh, by chaining these uh, draw triggers until you have, you know, 10 cards in hand. And then at that point, when the stack clears and you get priority again, you're going to go for your Dark Ritual. Uh, and if that resolves into your uh, Oblivion Crown. And then if that resolves and there's no interaction, then you just get to do your standard loops. And uh, we close out the game by going for your uh, instant speed blackout land. And the main advantage that this uh, provides is that you're no longer choked on green mana, which is something the deck has struggled with with the cleanup steps in the past. Um, so that, that was your point of vulnerability. But now you get one attempt for every black or green mana you have available. So yeah, that's a little bit of uh, Git Rug news. Uh, next, <laughs> also sort of Gitrog news, Spleen, <laughs> Spleen wants to talk about uh, his, his cool modern deck. So and, uh, uh, this deck actually, yeah. this deck started as a bit of a meme uh, after some lengthy discussions surrounding the slow play and loop rules um, and whether or not the Gitrog cleanup step is at risk of violating them. Um, and I just jokingly brewed a modern deck that tries to assemble a Gitrog cleanup step combo. And then I started playtesting the deck, and it's a lot of fun. So I think I'm actually going to build it and take it to at least like a side event at a GP with a reasonable level of competition. Uh, and, Dude, and you got to take it to the, the main event, man. Main event. <laughs> and hopefully call a judge and get some coherent answers out of a tournament organizer about what is and is not slow, slow play. So... Yeah, no longer are we going to be relegated coming to soon annoying, annoying judge chat. And, uh, you know, coming up, because they, a lot of them, they don't like answering get rug questions because they've been pestered a lot in the past. So you have to, like, phrase it in weird ways, like four horsemen, whatever. But yeah, well, we're, we're, we're done with that now. We're, all, we're, we're moving on up to bothering tournament organizers and whatnot. They've been dodging our rules questions for far too long. <laughs> Um, yeah, okay, so uh, moving on, I um, just want to talk about a kind of interesting, it's not really competitive, it's like fringe meme tier competitive, but it's a uh, gore... Developments, yeah. <laughs> developments on the meme side of the and format. That's a uh, gore claw stompy storm. Um, so I just want to give credit to uh, to Null here, um, even though he's not here, I just still want to, to mention this deck. Um, so I, I kind of got, we were playing... Um, together you know just this past week and uh he brought out this mid-power gore claw deck and it was surprisingly quick for mid-power and it, it had some interesting tech so he was on like food chain and and some cards that like uh drew cards when you know creatures with you know uh, elemental bond whenever a creature with power three or greater enters the battlefield under your control draw card and there's lots of different effects like that so but, but he was missing some and possibly for power level reasons and whatnot. And so I decided that let's just go all in and try to see how this, um, how you can, opt how you can optimize this for, you know, make it, make it kind of like SRAM tier where you're just running a bunch of garbage cards and drawing cards and cantrips and whatnot. <laughs> but yeah, so you just jam uh, all those, all those effects like Beast Whisper, Guardian Project. Um, and then you get to run 
food chain paradox engine earthcraft metamorphosis it's 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 kind of a, a blast to uh to goldfish but you know it's still really early and not really competitive at all because you're running a bunch of <laughs> three uh two generic one green like four ones so yeah there's that um and then sick do you want to talk about food change lava yeah i do okay guys we all know that you have been dying for the sequel to Food Chain Gaunti, <laughs> and I know Shaper was, and Shaper decided to take it onto himself to update the famous Food Chain Gaunti list into full-fledged, three-color, Grixis Food Chain Jaleva. That's right, Hell boys yeah. and girls. It is, it is quite, quite the feat of deck building. <laughs> If uh, if I have to describe it, um, Shaper really did one. Did did himself. I don't know. <laughs> what would you call this? I I wouldn't I wouldn't really say he's outdone himself. Yeah, but, it's uh, kind of par for the course. <laughs> just mean. Yeah, yeah. Really, at this point, but really, just uh, if you know what, if you ever wanted to play Thief of Sanity in CDH, this is this is your chance. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> lots of lots of evolution on the meme fronts in uh, <laughs> in CDH recently. Um, and then finally, we have a secret Hulk Reddit from Ponka. Oh yeah, on the complete opposite side of the format, on the very serious side of the format. Uh, yeah, we got a write up from Pongo on the Sacred Hulk deck, which is a pretty sick Hulk deck. I'm pretty sure we've mentioned it here before when it was in its early stages. Um, but yeah, just getting some more visibility on it, getting some eyes on it, because I I really think it's a really cool Hulk deck that was like criminally underrepresented for a while uh before this so it's good to get that out there it's good to get a write down of you know what it is what it does why it's good and also that that write-up was a pretty great summary of the history of hulk and cdh in general so i would highly recommend checking it out if any of that sounds interesting to you or if hulk decks without actually having to play bad hulk cards sounds interesting to you too uh, uh, we will put a link to it in the description of this episode if you want to check it out. Yeah, I think I think um, you know just jumping off what you're saying about like the history of Hulk. I think we need to do more um, encourage more content about like the history of, of decks and how they've evolved. I think it's really interesting just to see how decks have evolved over time uh, or different combos have changed. I know Goto is a kind of unique example um, where there was some like really mean combos right before Helm the Host came up, and you know. They're not really competitive, but it's still interesting to just see uh, see how those kind of combos evolve between players, um, starting with you know basic blade of selves, hammer of Nizan stuff, and all the way up until like this blade, this um, god, what was it, death render combo with Kiki Jiki, like crazy stuff. Yeah, super. <laughs> there's lots of interesting innovations in decks. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I think I do agree though. I think it it would be pretty nice to have more insight into the history of CDH um, and like specific lines of decks in general. Just because like I think first of all it's it's just interesting and I think it would be really neat and I would be really interested in reading a bunch of that. But also I think it's pretty nice to just like give context for a lot of the decisions that have been made in deck building and like the paths that a lot of decks have gone down and like it would be. I feel anyway that it would be valuable to newer players to be able to read up on the history of a deck and like why it turned out the way it did and like what what decisions were made before it and like what you know like the whole uh well like the whole mm, what would you call it the uh 
the evolution of a deck, I guess. Yeah, I know some people, like, when they're new to a deck, like, I was certainly this way, you come in and you're like, why the hell are you running this card? You know, and sometimes there's, there's sometimes it's, there's, there's not a super good reason, but, you know, with the, the way decks are refined at this point, a lot of times, especially with, like, Gitrod, which has seen so many different iterations, there is a really good reason why, and, you know, it's like, this was swapped out for this, and, and there's pretty good reasons why we, we made this change, and blah 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 and, and having a kind of history that people can track ch these changes and, and have why they were why all these justifications were made is is uh is pretty useful i think okay so let's get into our first topic and that is counter magic um and it's not just we're, we're, we're gonna get a, a bit of the nitty-gritty here it's um kind of the purpose of counter magic in cdh and uh what counter magic what what roles it fills um so We've got we've got a couple of unique counter spells that we want to discuss because you know there's not too much to discuss really like oh yeah you know force of will is a good card so is mana drain it's better than counter spell like yeah so on so forth yeah, yeah that, that's not super interesting we're going to be talking more about like the fringes or uh, certain cards that might be um, overplayed or, or people are running for are not really not not exactly evaluating why they want to run these cards correctly. Um, so let's just uh, let's just jump in with uh, someone uh, kind of spell that, that comes up fairly frequently by uh, people who are kind of new to CDH from the casual side, and that's arcane denial. This this kind of spell, you know, is actually I think I think it's fairly decent in uh, in lower tiers. It's a full on counter spell, um, which is something that you know when you get into CDH because we're looking for efficiency. Um, our counter spells don't all have the luxury of being, you know, counter target spell. It's, you know, counter target instant or sorcery spell, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that, that, that kind of versatility uh, can't be, or um, is, is quite good in, uh, in the casual sense. But in competitive, you know, drawing cards for your opponents, that sort of nagging on, on resources can really, no, thanks. yeah, that can... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's, there's Drake not, not, not super great. Drake me. Yeah. Drawing cards. Yeah, <laughs> drawing cards for opponents. No. Nah. Yeah, pretty much. No thanks. Although there are decks, there are like does does Brawl run uh, Arcade Denial? No. Zero no, percent. And I will tell you why. Um, because uh, we sort of had a bit of discussion on this in pre-show, and uh, I think it's good to know because a lot of people so. A lot of the argument that people will bring up for running Arcane Denial in the first place is that Arcane Denial is not unplayable. It's the X best, like the nth best card or the nth best counter yeah. spell in the format, right? But like the whole, so the whole thing is though, is that a lot of the time decks that are running counter magic don't run all n counter spells in the format. They run the top mm -hmm. ten, yeah. top fifteen, usually not past top fifteen. Really, I mean, like what you run like. I think like thirteen usually, maybe around there. If you're in a blue deck with counter magic, and the whole thing is, is that so at that point you're not running arcane denial because you have a full list of staples that you can run before it, and then after that point, once you start going down that list more and more, the only decks that tend to end up running the and the best counter spell, like the twentieth best, whatever are the decks that care way more about their opponents drawing cards yeah. than the decks that are only running 
like 13 counter spells or whatever. So it just makes Arcane Denial so much worse for like any deck that would run it if it was only just like the whatever best counter spell. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's there's not too much more to say about Arcane Denial. Like maybe there might be eventually a deck that's <laughs> mono blue that isn't trying to. I don't know. That's that's just too that's too deep. <laughs> you know, Leovold man, Leovold. They only get well, one card. Yeah. Well, Leovold. <laughs> not not exactly about uh, Arcane Denial, but sort of the same in the same vein. Do we think that that's also true? Like, should decks that are looking to run twenty counter spells be cutting delay? Delay? No. I think I think there no I no no, no I think there definitely is an argument for that um, because and I've I have seen I've specifically seen brawl decks and Rashmi decks cut delay because the the idea behind delay in general CADH is that by the time the counters all come off, the game's already over. But when you have delay in a deck like Brawl or Rashmi, or the deck that wants whatever number of counter spells that's way more than the average deck, those counters actually start mattering, and it really turns delay into like more of an actual, you know, delay um, than an actual counter spell. I, I think that's still fine. I think the times when it's it acts as a counter spell for another counter spell, first of all, like the, the obviously the, the suspend doesn't matter. But if you're countering something, like the fact that delay counters creatures is is massive for counter spells, right? Like we in in our format, we're kind of really focused on counter spells that counter uh, instants and sorceries or um, enchantments and artifacts. But the countering the ability to counter creatures is uh, is is something that we don't have on a lot of our counter spells. And delay the delay is something that can counter you know a Gitrog monster. Uh, is pretty pretty freaking great, and even if it's something where the game's been going long, and you know, oh, but what if they get the get rug monster in three turns? The get rug player is not thinking, you know, oh, I can play this, you know, long wait game, and uh, then I'll get my get rug monster for free. I'm thinking, or, or get rug players will be thinking, hell no, I'm gonna wait for my get rug monster to come back that long. Like, no way. You just want to be able to constantly. You, you're gonna set yourself so far behind if you if you uh, succumb to that. So. So I think there's, it's just good enough on uh, even if it is that that tempo loss. Just the fact that the uh, players, if it's countering commander, just might not want to uh, might not want to actually suspend it. So I mean, countering commanders is a little bit different because yes, they can choose to just redirect them to the command zone. But like, what creatures apart from commanders, like Gitrog and Zur, are the two obvious ones? What creatures are is it that you're really looking to? counter that won't be equally impactful three turns from now? That is a great question, Spleen. I'm glad you brought it up, because this is extremely relevant for Shovel Hulk, Academy Rector. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I will tell you what, there are about three counter spells that people usually play in decks that actually counter Academy Rector, and there's a reason why it's a good card in Shuffle Hulk, and it's because there are only three counter spells that actually counter it that people usually play. So that that actually is a, a relevant case, um, but sort of being a bit more broad than that, um, I think yes, it does have those cases where like it's still just as good as a regular counter spell or and or better, just because it can hit creatures. Um, but there is also the times when... There are also the times, rather. 
that it is just actually a worse counter spell, and they come up a fair amount anyway, right? Like, uh... like when when you have delay and your delay is your only counter spell, and there is an ad nauseum on the stack, that sort of sucks when you're controlling. No, I don't think so. You know, man. the three turns so. down the line. Like the ad nauseum is it's like three turns away, and everyone in play sees it, unless everyone else is like, oh, I guess, or they've got like some great defenses up, or like some great creature they can block. So I guess here's here's the thing is that like people see it coming. So they'll okay, have counter magic, so they'll be you're... donking the ad nauseum play. Ad nauseum play. So you're right that you will not frequently lose to that ad nauseum coming down in three turns, but I think that what is a little bit less obvious is how often. You're spending another card to deal with the ad nauseum. Yes, it's. A, I, I think it's a lot more about card economy rather than just like winning. Or I don't think, but I don't think the burden right? always will fall on you. Like, there's other players in the pod who also lose no, no, no. to ad nauseum, but right, but it, but it will because you're the control. Not necessarily. Player it delays his play in lots no, of non-controls. That's, that's, no, no, no. But the but the point is, is that because you're a control deck, the burden of interaction will always fall on you in that situation. But like first, like primarily. So if you're it delays unless your it can, only unless counter it's spell, like what are you what are you swapping it for? Like like if, if so if you're like slot for slot, I'm gonna swap. So if you get out of the scenario, first of all, you try to you try to play your counter magic with a straight up counter spell, right? Because delay is much better just countering a counter spell. Um, and if you're trying to counter, uh, like, like you want to save delay for for cards that you know you're. Uh, your muddle the mixture or whatever the hell you want to say, your your dispel or something, can't counter, right? You'd much rather dispel an ad nauseum than uh, delay an ad nauseum. So yeah, yeah. if you're only on delay, like you're the fact that it's an outright counter and not necessarily like a, a spell pierce or something, which can very easily be uh, paid for by many decks with uh, black with rituals or, or if they're like black green, you know, with dorks and, and whatnot, like spell pierce isn't going to get you there a lot of the time. So the fact that delay is just an outright counter spell is oftentimes quite the boom. So if you're if you're if you have to wait three turns to you know hopefully dig for another counter spell, that's fine a lot of the time. Like it's it's I don't think you'd ever really yeah, want to swap like, that for like a muddle or anything like that. But like you could like I, I feel like there are a lot of other options that you could go to, like before you play delay in the control decks. Because like you could play like what like what's the voting one the uh, spleen help me oh, out here uh, split decision that's the one like you could you could I I could definitely see playing split decision over delay in a control deck Spice. I mean in a control I, deck that never wants to win the game right? <laughs> 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 yeah split decision have you I I'm sorry have you seen the brawl and Rashmi builds log fucking log uh, enough, yeah you win win by draining all the life energy out of your opponents uh -huh. forcing them to concede I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna cast an Ugin on turn twenty and bolt everyone to oh death my that's okay, my but what about psychic rebuttal <laughs> do you want to do you want to expand on no, that idea Splane? It's, uh, <laughs> it's a very restricted counter spell it counters an instant sorcery that targets you. Um, okay, but Ooh, but like for example, a um, on a slightly more realistic suggestion, um, could you see ever running disdainful stroke? Oof! Like yeah. So it have to be a really specific deck. I so the problem with disdainful stroke specifically 
is that as soon as I play against a Hulk deck, I cry myself to sleep. Dude, Counter's Force is moment. So, <laughs> I think... So, I like, yes, it's a given that you have to alter your control deck to match metas. That's sort of just, like, any reactive deck. But I think Disdainful Stroke puts you in a place where, like, if I'm playing Disdainful Stroke, I better be playing in a meta that is, like, nothing but what, like... Get Rog and Zur and... Blood, blood Pod... Gitrog and like PST. I don't know about that, and, like, not just... even PST, because PST just jams like whatever they want. Like they just jam a scepter and it gets it's around. It's one piece of interaction. Like just because I'm running, just because I, I, there's the like Hulk decks aren't super vulnerable to like Nature's Claim or something. Like, I mean, they're somewhat vulnerable. But let's just, let's just, it's not, it's not amazingly vulnerable to, to Nature's Claim. Um, doesn't mean I'm going to cut Nature's Claim from my suite of answers because I see Hulk in my meta. No, 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 I, I mean, like, Disdainful Stroke is something I, that, I get that answers yeah. enough of the decks. Just because you see a Hulk deck and it doesn't have any targets, doesn't mean you're like, oh, wow, this card is dead in hand. You've got two other opponents, right? But, also, but you the run whole, Academy the whole point is that... <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole problem is that, like, the just the nature of the format... Like pretty much like pressures people to move their curves down below four on average, and a lot of the time, like people can win without ever casting a four cost card or above, just in a lot of decks. Yeah. Right? So I mean, if it red sort of like it, just, command, it makes that's it kind of how you have to evaluate. It, I think. Like my my whole like the whole thing is like it's it's not just that it doesn't do anything against Hulk. It's that. It doesn't do anything. It's Hulk, and it counters a very low percentage of the stuff. Well, that it so does I guess the against the right? the thing that like when we talk about counter magic and CEDH, we're not like most spells. You're not trying to counter, and I think yes. that when you look at decks with low curves, a lot of the stuff that you really want to counter is actually oh, the haymaker is at yeah it's plus, the yeah. it's the haymakers at four plus it's those are the the cards that you are willing to run that cost more than i don't know two or three mana have to be so impactful that they're the kind of spells you want to counter so what we're looking at so aside from commanders because they're it, this is obviously a hit commanders but i don't think it's this might be we might have to get into well this i think it's later, i think it's very think it's relevant that it hits ever. a lot of yeah. commander centric commanders yeah it it hits it hits commanders i i usually don't think it's correct to be countering commanders the first time i like not losing to get wrong no no, no. yeah <laughs> okay okay here here's the thing though about i i guess we're gonna do this now here's the thing though about countering when a commander comes down right is that like yes it's a threat yes a lot of the time it contributes towards a win but a lot of the time there's another card that you can counter later down the line that also stops them from winning and gives you more time. Like, yeah, distinctful stroke. Either build up Sisse versus paradox else, right? engine, right? But the thing is, is if you're like, so you're like, oh, you can just count the paradox engine and not, you know, count the Sisse. But I think that's kind of a weird way to look at it, considering that if you're a control deck who's concerned about card advantage, leaving these commanders, many of which are card advantage engines, in play and only countering their haymaker spells seems like a kind of losing proposition wouldn't you just rather counter their main source of card advantage and then yeah i don't know letting zer you know, resolve and saying i'll just counter yeah, shimmer mer seems brave the the problem the problem with a lot of the time with countering commanders is that the commanders usually that you're countering that you or that you would be countering matter and that means they're coming down early which means that you are usually going to end up when you would counter a commander 
is going to be typically like a turn earlier than you would have to counter a haymaker. Yeah, which right. is I why think, it's nice to run this ways. one one in a blue but, counter spell yeah. rather than a double blue. One. But but it, but it means that as soon as you do that, shields are down for the rest of the table, and if you're countering like the person that is playing like Gitrog or whatever, they go turn three Gitrog, you counter at. There are two other people after them that you still have to yeah. Deal well, with. ideally like, Gitrog isn't immediately winning. I think the game, I think this right? is a good segue go. into into one of the talks I want to cover, which is counter magic versus removal, right? People like counter magic because it's a generic answer that you don't have to, you know, you you can you can you could it's really flexible defensively and offensively. Um, most lots of the good stuff is really generic, but um, some of it obviously is more specific. But when you're when you're looking at something like um, like disdainful stroke, when when you're trying to evaluate disdainful stroke because it counters a uh, it counters commanders, you know, it obviously obviously counters addons and forceable, but we're we're getting into the degree on commanders. When do you start considering things like Pongify, Rapid Hybridization, Submerge, just efficient creature-based removal to answer um, these commanders, right? Because then you, you solve that problem of not having to, to spend your mana immediately, and you can basically only, and you can wait until they go to for their Haymaker to, to try to answer the commander. Well, like, obviously I think removal is good, but the problem with removal is that you can't run too much of it. And a lot of the time, for a lot of control decks, the removal that you do have access to is not great quality. Right? Yeah, yeah. Where, where like a lot of the time, your counter magic is just generally a higher quality of a card than your removal. Like, even, like just comparing them card quality wise. Rather, um, like, I think like, I think some cards, yes. Like if people are looking at um, like the the tax the tax um, counter spells, like spell pierce, mana leak, divert. Um, I mean, no, divert's a bit deep, but yeah, like if you're or or, or uh, flusterstorm, if you're if you're looking at those, a lot well, of I mean, I, flusterstorm, uh, let, but if you're looking at, at yeah. those ones, like maybe a removal spell or like a generic removal spell on Winds Rebuke or um, the Into the Royal and, and the, whatever the new one is, like maybe those are just more efficient answers because if you're trying to take to the late game, like your spell pierce will just be turned off a lot of the time by them. Paying the mana. Well, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to compare Winds of Rebuke versus Spellpierce or that level because you're already playing those removal cards anyway because like you you need access to removal just to in general get rid of problematic permanents or deal with non spell based wins or whatever. I th so I think it's more I think it would be more accurate to compare Spellpierce to something like uh the what two mana. Uh, thing manifest removal spell reality shift. reality shift or like just yeah reality shift or just like like all like compare it to like the second rate removal spells like do you really want to run like beast within over a spell I mean, beast right? within is is quite different than the kinds of removal that we're, we talk about right like beast within is like bottom tier of what we get to if you're a control deck if sure, you're a control so like, deck so like there's there's so many you've got uh, rapid hybridization pongify reality shift submerge um, so many other of the, the generic bounce spells, like... And... Well, I, no, here's the, like, I want to know wh what the tier after the ones that you just listed is, because you're running most of those anyway, if not all of them, in a control deck, right? Dismember? I'd run Dismember so, over Spell Pierce. In, in the right meta, in the right black, metas, not... sorry, I want to, I want to qualify no, no, but, <laughs> but what, can, what control deck is, is in black? <laughs> I mean, you brought up green, except for, like, Rashmi, right? Like... Well, yeah, color like, there's more black. green blue uh, control uh, decks uh, than... 
Yeah, yeah, and then at that point we have like you're you're as soon as you get into black, you have you have way more access to top level. Like Beast Within, Beast Within about, is, like, is not great, but it's it's not okay. It's just not great. <laughs> there's not, <laughs> it's there's just not too not, much information there. Just not like I'd rather yeah. run like but the like, more specific um the the more specific uh, green enchantment like artifact removal. Like I'd rather run um. Unless you're 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 absolutely strapped for creature removal, which if you're in green blue, you're not really. Which which mono blue no, is, no, is the problem that I'm getting not. to, right? Dude, blue has Mark, has some of the you're most extremely strapped no, for it. No, 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 no. Mono blue has some of the most um, playable creature based removal in the format. Like what? I don't know what you're. What just bounce spells? Bounce spells and like pomified rapid hybridization. Um, like that's uh, eminently playable. Like. Certainly, mono blue decks have trouble <laughs> dealing with creatures. I don't know how you're gonna yes. argue like, otherwise. I th- like you. You have trouble removing power toughness from the board permanently. Like there's no deluge, right? But if I'm in, if I'm in Gitrog, okay, so... if I'm in Gitrog, my good creature removal is abrupt decay, assassin's trophy, and then what? Like I'm most decks aren't running dismember. I mean, you have you have access to Vendetta. Vendetta, Vendetta sucks. is not a bad one. I mean, there, Vendetta, okay, there's uh, lots okay. of cards you. I played. I played Vendetta for a very long time in Rolls. That card is like it's good. fine. It's not good. But I don't know. I I almost think like, I'd, I'd much rather run Pongifier Rapid Hybridization. Like much better cards. Well, obviously, okay, okay but, but then okay, the argument about but which being okay, which three... bad creature removal is just gone. Like it's wait, those are good cards. Wait, which you're, if you're getting to Vendetta real quick. As as the good removal in black, which is you know supposed to be the removal, the the removal color because you got like Doom Blade and all that crap. Like no, Pongify Rapid Hybridization, some of the best creature removal in the format. Okay, what are you trying to remove with your creature removal? Like, if it's Gitrog, Zer, Sese. Okay, Yisan. Every hang on so, a second. But Everything the, but you... except yeah. Gitrog. Notion Thief. Everything except like, Gitrog dies to a huge number of spells. You, If you go down to three, you can run Ulcerate. Yes, that doesn't hit Azurs and the Kesses of the World. I mean, even something like... like Obviously, this isn't even a good card that you would consider running, but like, which if you had to run three removal spells in your deck, and, and you, you pick one of these two packages, one is Pongify, Rapid Hybridization, and Reality Shift, and the other is Abrupt Decay, Assassin's Trophy, and literally pick any spell. Dismember, Grasp of Darkness, whatever you want. Which three are you picking? Okay, well, that's a bit of a loaded question, considering that Assassin's Trophy and Abrupt Decay aren't creature removal spells. They remove creatures, but they also hit, like, everything. Right. So you, you can't like evaluate... spells, too, right? Yeah, but you're, you're comparing them to Pongify Rabbit Hybridization. Yeah, but you know, but my whole point is you can't compare Pontify Hybridization to the spells to the spell pure slot because Pontify and Rapid Hybridization are things that you're running anyway, and they're the top tier of removal spells. You I'm have to go one to, more I'm level just down to, say to compare that when you to said the spells that blue has slot. weak creature removal that you're just so wrong because it's like the best creature removal in it, the format. It has it has like three removal yeah, and it's the best. It's like what other color use like. In white, you've got Swords to Plowshares. People don't go to Path to Exile. I'd much rather run Pungify Rapidization over Path to Exile. Like, it's the, it has the most playable single-target creature removal in the format. Is that objectionable? Like, sure. No. I mean, I object to that only if you 
are saying that things like a Brepicate don't count because they don't only hit creatures. Yeah, I, I, I am counting that. I, I count that separately because you'd have to compare it to things like Winds of Rebuke or whatnot for a generic removal or Cyclonic Rift. Well, okay, but I like I think that those cards are also like I don't think I don't think it's, I wouldn't I wouldn't click call I don't it's, think chain of vapor removal because you have nothing better chain of vapor and winds of rebuke targeting creatures is like the worst feeling in the world yeah no it does suck but it's uh, abrupt decay the fact that abrupt decay can't hit things like it's not a great creature removal considering like oh you cast a git rug oh nice abrupt decay idiot oh there's a notion people play nice abrupt decay idiot like <laughs> abrupt decay abrupt decay so. is very narrowly creature removal. So to bring this to the overlying discussion that we were supposed to be having here, aren't having here, I don't know. Uh, I think the question that Noob had was, at what point do you start playing removal over counter magic, right? Yeah, and I think I think it, it really what's, has to do with the slot list. I think it, it has to do with in it, it does it does certainly depend on the meta, right? But are you going to be running? Um, Oh god, what's the what's the counter spell? Seize playing. It's not disdainful stroke. Um, the one that just counters a creature spell. Essence scatter. Essence scatter. There we oh, go. Oh god. Yeah. Like, do you do you ever look at essence scatter? Like, not really. So so no. no, because not but but that comes with a rider that that is that's not because essence scatter is a bad card. It's because the haymakers in the format don't line up with essence scatter. Yeah. So right. Also, the fact that you, the ability, as you mentioned earlier, the ability to wait for your opponents to do something spooky instead of having to like kind of preemptively guess, like, oh my god, there's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of you know get rogs and sissies and crap at the table, and you know which do I counter, right? The ability to hold your uh, interaction in the form of creature removal until they start to to do something spooky that is a massive benefit that I think people might not necessarily uh, evaluate correctly, right? They might just be like, oh, I'd rather run, um, you know, the Arcane Denial over over a Rapid Hyperization Bombify, which I think is incorrect. But, like, the the thing with that is a lot of the time you can stop them from starting a combo with a Counterspell just as well, right? Even with their commander already in the board. Where, like, against Gitrog, you can counter their discard out. Well, when the, when the Gitrog get is, uh, is in play and they start going bizarre Baghdad life from the moon shenanigans, like, good luck trying to counter anything. <laughs> like, and then they go for their cleanup kill, good luck well, trying to counter anything. Sure, sure, but that's not necessarily because, like, Gitrog is a combo piece. It's just because Gitrog is a value engine, card right? Like, so is, <laughs> like, Sissy will just sit and play and slowly, you're like, oh, I'm just going to wait until they kind of play their uh, Paradox engine and I'm going to counter that. And they're just going to sit there and they'll be like, okay, so, I'm just so, going to find, so, you know, draw like a card a turn or multiple cards a turn. And you're going to be sad. <laughs> you're going to be really sad. So, do you counter Momi or Vague on three? Um, do you counter Vanifar on three? No, definitely don't counter Vanifar. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, I, I might so counter I, Vanifar. I, no, 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 don't do that. Sure. But like that that's that's sort of what I was like you're you're not you're not countering like you you don't counter commanders cuz you're scared they're going to win cuz usually you there's a I, know, see, I, I think I think that, that people don't <laughs> do that and no, no, I think that that's you, wrong. You counter I think people let commanders resolve cuz they're not winning counter, right now and then they lose to them a lot. But you counter but I think 
the reason why you counter a lot of... Well, it's different with Vanifar. Vanifar doesn't have to cast shit to win, <laughs> necessarily. But you do... I guess... It's also vague. Like, I don't have to have it you resolved. You've got to look at vulnerability. So. You've got to look at vulnerability, right? Like, if someone's tapping into cast Momir, yeah. and you're like, oh, you know, I'll get them when they go to hack. Great, you're going to go at them when they go to hack with counter magic up. Like, good shit. Sure, so... <laughs> You'd much so, rather counter the so vague when they're tapped out. And, and they're vulnerable. And then also set them behind so far because they're going to have to cast a seven-mana spell. Okay, so. <laughs> now that we've had the commander discussion, removal versus counterspell. <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like this this point we, we've, kind of, we've kind of beaten to death already. Is that Have we rehashed it? Okay. It's, it's just... What's in that just case? Brief, brief summary is that, you know... The, the ability to time your removal is and, and wait for the opportune moment is what makes it so powerful. Um, you, you lose some of the, the genericness of, uh, of counter spells, like just regular counter spell, mana drain, force it. You lose the generic ability to counter non-creature spells, but you gain that versatility in, in timing. Um, so you can kind of conserve resources there and conserve uh, mana. But it's you really only want to start looking at uh, removal over counter spells when you start getting to the more selective counter spells or cards that are like arcade denial where it's generic but it's you're losing a bunch of card advantage doing it um i think that kind of ties it up in a neat well yeah so so basically the amount of removal you should play is exactly the right hmm, amount not too much and not too little <laughs> yeah yeah sounds a bit next i I said we uh, we should probably go down some of the well not not go down but uh, go over uh, some of the actual like counter magic yeah. purposing stuff because I think that's also a cool discussion and we should probably have that as well rather than just comparing counter magic to other forms of interaction. Yeah, well we can let's let's compare some counter magic to counter magic, um, and this kind of yes. segues off the the counter magic versus removal point I was making about. Um, you know, generic the ability to answer generic threats versus um, being kind of more man efficient and, and whatnot. And so that's that's mana leak versus spell pierce. Um, and hot take, hot take from noobzors right now. Spell pierce is played in people are running spell pierce in decks they shouldn't be. Um, I think spell pierce is a really powerful counter spell. Um, I mean that might be a bit of hyperbole, but counter uh, spell pierce is. Is good. It's a counter it's spell. It's a counter spell that is, is good, especially in the early game, um, which, you know, lots of CDH games are decided in the early game, just because people won't have that mana available for when they're, when they're trying to cast their spells. Now, and it's also just very efficient. The, the thing the thing where you really kind of wish your your, your spell pierce was, was something else is if you're not a really efficient, fast combo deck. If you're trying to take it to the late game, or, or you're trying to answer threats that aren't just, you know, other people's counter spells trying to hit your your flash, then you might want to look at mana leak, right? If you want to, if you want to be able to counter someone else's, you know, get rock monster or um, discard outlet or Zer or something like that, if you're if you're trying to hold up the two mana, mana leak is something that you should really be considering. It carries over later into the, the mid game because of the extra mana attacks that it, it has. And also the ability to counter creature spells, I think, is uh, is overlooked. Spell Pierce, obviously, great in in. Uh, I mean, some did weren't, weren't you at one point running like divert or something in one of your lists? You're like D and D or or Flash Alt. 
Uh, yeah. So spell pierce is on the <laughs> spell pierce is the next counter spell in line in shuffle and dune B that like has made it into the lists very like very rarely and very sparingly. Um, but yeah, I'd, I I would agree with that. Like I like mana leak over spell piercing. Sure, but I I think. I think it, it is a deck consideration, but I think it's also a meta consideration. So you have to so like oh, yeah, spell pierce, yes, it's 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 good it's good in aggressive decks and decks that want to force uh like force ever, other people's hands as fast as possible because then, you know, take advantage of them not having the mana development for it. But it also tends to be good against aggressive decks, where they might ne- not might not necessarily have the mana to pay for it at the turns that they're going off on, right? Yeah, yeah. I just, it, it is certainly meta dependent, right? But the fact that so many decks are, are uh, except for, you know, the Thras Timna Menace, that's not really commander dependent until you're already winning. Um, the ability to, to counter their, their commanders with Mana Leak just can't be, uh, can't, can't be overstated how much of a improvement that is over Spell Pierce for that one mana. That extra versatility for that one mana is often wait, wait, wait. Are are you saying that you're gonna counter? You're gonna mana leak my Tim? No, no. I'm saying I'm not gonna mana leak. All that's the thing. Just on principle. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> except exactly. Except except for the, the commanders that are just there as value engines, and their core deck is what the, the thing is, uh, and the, is is what the threat is. Right. Like most decks are like you know, Agila, blah blah blah. You would love to be able to mana leak their their commander and sit them behind, you know, one or two turns. Um, but yeah, just that's that's mainly the point I want to make was that it, look look at your meta and what your deck is trying to accomplish, and don't uh, when when you're evaluating what counter spells to include, don't just auto import you know the list of counter spells from some other deck. Right? You can't just be like, oh, you know, Flash Hulk is one of the best decks, so just must run the best counter spells. So I'm just going to bring in all of those counter spells into my uh, Tassiker control deck. Right? Bad idea. You need to you need to tailor the counter spells you include to the purpose of your deck and to your meta. And I think Mana Leak gets lost a lot in that um, in that process. And you know what? I'm actually going to go a bit further here. Because uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of established people are sort of going to write this off as obvious knowledge. And especially, like, just, like, oh, like, obviously, like, you wouldn't just copy counterspell packages over. But they but do. <laughs> I can say for a fact, this happens all that, the time. I think Mana Leak is, like is, in, is not in lots of decks where it, it should be over Spell Pierce. Like, that's where... Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to make that that suggestion particularly, but I know a lot of the time... It happens where uh, great players and established players and fantastic deck builders will get stuck, or they'll they'll get lazy, and they have a counterspell package that they put together for a previous deck or something, and they do not feel like typing in all the names, and they just copy them over, and that is their counterspell package now. And I think it's really important to... It's fine to copy-paste your counterspell packages over, but you always have to make sure that you're reconsidering, what is my deck doing? Where where am I looking to be in the meta? Am I being super aggressive? Do I need defensive counter magic? Do I need to make sure that I don't die? Do I need to be able to stop other people's win attempts? I'll, yeah. I'll confess, I have a I have a copy-paste list of counterspells. 
I, I do. I don't just copy them all and then use them. I use it just to avoid typing out like ten cards. But there mm -hmm. is a list. So yeah, we can we can also jump off this into one that I think is uh, and kind of spell that we think is overlooked. It's not as overlooked as it, as it once was, but I think it's still um, might be might be a bit underplayed, and that's uh, misdirection. Hey. I play I this shit in all my decks. Mr. Just I, I was just, that's, that's where, where a lot of people have been. Have been um, that, that's where, where the most of the misdirections <laughs> see as like all the Hulk decks, right? Where if you're not on. Hey, there, no, no, not just Hulk. Have you have you seen my decks? Okay, go go check out Hackball and Four Color Rash me real quick. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I think I think misdirection but, is is quite it's, it's quite a good card, right? People people but, primarily think of it as you know. Oh, if I'm like the uber fast combo deck running only defensive counter spells, then I want to be, or sorry, offensive counter spells. Then uh, I want to be on misdirection, obviously, right? Because then it's just a counter target counter spell for free. Um, but I think something that where it gets overlooked more is in decks that want to protect. No, they want to protect a, a certain piece. So, for instance, if I'm in Zer, yes. Um, and I and I really I want to resolve my sir. I want to keep it protected from removal, and I want to attack and get my necropotence the next turn. Misdirection seems pretty darn good there, right? You can you can tap out early to cast your sir, and then have your uh, your backup counter magic slash protection. Misdirection in ad nauseum decks. That's where it gets tricky, <laughs> right? Trying to balance I, trying yeah. to balance this. I mean. Force of Will is running at in, in Adnaz Index because it's a really strong card, right? I think I think the the one thing with misdirection in specifically Zer is I think it's a bit more dependent on how Zer reliant you are. Yes, yes. I think if 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 you are playing something like just Doomsday Zer, where no your main plan is either Doomsday, <laughs> where your main plan is either Doomsday or uh, Adnaz Angel's Grace, I don't think there's a lot of reason to play Misdirection, Wait, and not just because there's not a lot of reason. I said there's not a lot of. Okay, reason. that's strange. If you're I don't, on Doomsday, I don't understand. Sir, no, no, if that's no, your no, main no, no, because, plan. Because then that seems if your if your plan is Adnauseum Angel's Grace, then your life total doesn't matter, and you'd much rather have the free counter magic. No, but it's the the thing is is that. It's a lot less valuable in that style of deck because you're not necessarily doing like using one of the two modes that effectively. There's a lot of other stuff that like you, like you have a lot of mana development anyway. You can run a lot of the other cheap counter magic, and you're not really super reliant on having Zer hit somebody. And it's not always going to be relevant. Well, I also in those cases. I also think I this think is a bit of a, something that gets, people is that even if your misdirection isn't a force of will to counter someone's ad, someone else's ad nauseum. What your misdirection is is a backup counterspell. So someone casts an ad nauseum. Like a lot of times, we all play in those games where you know everyone doesn't. No one wants to be the first person to go off, and everyone's just sandbagging interaction, right? Even if you're not the person to go off, your misdirection can back up someone else's counterspell, right? So if they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna save up for my ad nauseum and I'm gonna hold up uh, my my one counterspell," then someone's got you know their their, their counterspell, and that's that's their interaction. Your misdirection is a solid backup there. And I think it's all these little pieces that actually make the misdirection much better than than people give credit for in as as a uh, as a defensive counter spell. Even if you're not super commander dependent or you're Teferi and you need to make sure that no one uh, nature's cleans your uh, your chain veil or something like that. 
So I think I think it's a I think there's a kernel of truth to that, but I don't think it's as it's as widespread playable as you do, I don't think. I I think that it's still very strongly rooted in the two styles of decks that want it, but it can be used more widely. Would you run Misdirection in the Gila? No. See, I think... I, does it have the density of blue cards that um, we need? I th- that's, that's a good uh, point. For, yeah. first, first, of all, first of all, that's a problem. Second of all is that I don't think your... I don't think spot removal is necessarily your number one concern in the Gila. Um, you, you, like, pretty much any of your counter magic sort of deals with spot removal anyway, and you can... Run well, other I, stuff. I think I'd like, run. Like, I think the thing is, I like I'd run misdirection before I'd run lots of the counter magic. I, I need to. I need to pull up on Najila list, but like lots of the, the typical counter magic people would run. Obviously, Najila is great because you get to run pyro and red, and that's those are really good cards. So, <laughs> so, so the whole thing with misdirection though in Najila is specifically the cards I am most worried about when I play Najila are Clasms and Toxic Deluge. And misdirection deals with neither of those. Is the I guess it also depends on the meta. Like, I know I know in, in um, some of the metas I play in, Deluge and Clasms have become far less popular and people are more more into um, single target removal. So that, that could sway my uh, sway my opinion a bit. If you're if you're on Clasms and uh, if that's your meta, Clasms and Deluge.meta, then certainly you want to be looking at uh, different different suite of counter spells. Over over misdirection, maybe even cut back on on Reb or Pyro if that's the type. If depending on which decks are on the Phasms and Deluge, I think if it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I think there's also the fact that like having Najila spot removaled after getting one or two swings in isn't necessarily that backbreaking either. Just like obviously yes, it sucks to have to pay the five mana for Najila again, but the fact that like you now just have warriors ready to go anyway and you don't necessarily need to attack with the Najila well, to get them active. I think, I think that's not is where you're like, evaluating misdirection. I think you're evaluating misdirection as in you're trying to go off right and it's when you're, when you're trying to cast your nature's will right people's interaction comes on in the form of uh, you know their their chain of vapors their uh, their bounce spells their, uh, their enchantment artifact hate and their creature removal as well as counter spells and misdirection answers all of those, in which case it's but just I as think, good as force of will d- defensively. Though. I think. I think the problem with that though is that Naj- I personally I don't think Najila is necessarily aggressive enough to take advantage of it that well, just because. So I think I think the two camps that like I I'm I'm gonna like lay down my like actual like the areas that I play misdirection in. Um, and why I played in all my decks, and it's not because I just put it in everything, it's just that the decks that I build happen to lie in one of these two categories fairly consistently, um, is that you either have to be very aggressive and you need a free counterspell to take advantage of early windows, which is obviously Shuffle Hulk, where the reason I played in Misdirection in that is because you have these windows of turn two where you have the free there's only magic, one person yeah. holding up. There, there is one person holding up counter magic, and I would have needed, if this was a swan song, I don't have the extra blue mana, and I need to go now. And I need the extra free counter spell to have the chance to be able to take advantage of those early windows more consistently than just having packed and forcible, yeah. right? 
So I think that's one of the areas where you play it. I think the other area is pretty much on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, where you are building, you're basically Voltroning one permanent, not actual Voltron, but things like putting a bunch of curiosities on a Vile Smasher, or establishing a very, very good value engine, or playing something like a... A stack's I don't know, that, a, that, needs to a, that hates on the entire board. A Momir Vig, perhaps, for five mana that you really don't want getting yeah. removed. Um, that you can't afford to have removed, ever. Um, is where I would also put Misdirection in, just because it... You just need the... You need to be able to protect the thing that you're putting on the board when you're tapped out the turn after you play it, right? I feel like that scenario like, comes up when, a lot for any deck. Any deck that tries to win the game, like, you're... You're you're gonna be you're gonna be mana tight, or a lot of times you're gonna be mana tight on the turn you're trying to win because you're you're not you don't always have no, no, the, but, the, the, but the luxury of waiting until you have a bajillion mana and all of your opponents are, are held. Like that's that doesn't happen but what, often. But what what I'm what I'm saying is it's when when you're a bit slower of a deck to combo, it's more likely that you have the extra mana available to you because it's just you just have more looks and more time to put down more uh, mana acceleration, right? But so do your and opponents, and, a lot of the... and they have time to find answers, which, you know, that's where you get these these sandbagging massive stacks of counter spells, massive counter wars, right? Where everyone's sandbagging their direction, everyone's slow rolling everything, it's, and and having a free counter spell on top of that, like, you get to you get to use your mana to pay for some fluster, some like, to pay for a bit of fluster stuff if the storm count isn't too high. Or you know to pay for a spell pierce like those the mana does matter even when you're going off. It's not like you're just going to be absolutely swimming in it, right? You're you're trying to resolve your isochron scepter dramatic reversal, tapping out, you know, trying to cast it, and then someone goes for their nature's claim, right? Now the counter war begins, and but the yeah. so the whole the whole thing with that though is that you have to balance that. You have to balance it. Okay, you have to balance the extra mana mattering because I'm there I there are a bunch of like you could play spell pierce instead of this for whatever uh counter war stuff like that. You have to balance in the deck that you're playing the extra mana mattering versus not being able to stop other people's win attempts, right? Where like a lot of the time just any, pretty much any other counter spell is going to be able to be used offensively to stop people from winning. Where misdirection pretty much doesn't serve that role at all. So you need to be okay with spending one of your interaction slots on something that doesn't necessarily stop anybody else from winning in a lot of cases. Like, yes, there are edge cases where it will, but in a lot of cases. Versus just playing, just paying one mana more for a counter spell where, yes, there are cases where you're not going to have the mana to spend on it, but consistently it will serve both an offensive and defensive role. I just think that the amount of the one mana counter spells that you're, you would never cut swan song for misdirection and no, that's never. like and there you go that's the but list of I'm, good one mana counter spells that uh, actually just straight up answer well, everything and you know like there's uh dispel oh, sorry, stops dispel, a dispel, lot of one attempts it, yeah it's dispel also isn't perfect as, as well as as well as fluster storm fluster storm is, is stops a is lot tenuous of combos. about like it's yes it stops a lot of things but it it also falls short more I mean, sure. <laughs> like you, the Flusher Storm but, like, is, is I, great I still, for to, to absolutely here. end a counter war, but you know, someone goes to just main face their Adnaz, and you're like, oh, 
I guess I'll just try to spell pierce that with my fluster storm. I mean, that's that's, that's the case when their main <laughs> phase is going to add nauseum without at, without before spending like mana on or like casting cards to like get the mana for it or and or tutor it, right? Yeah, I mean, fluster storm loses a lot of power in the in the, in the later game where misdirection doesn't necessarily. I mean, I still think it's substantial. I think it's better than dispel. No, no, fluster, fluster, fluster. Um, I, I I would probably agree with that on average too. Let me think. Yeah. I think just the well, the whole thing with Flusterstorm as well being that it is effectively impossible to counter. It's an uncounterable yeah. counter spell yeah. in that case. Where where it's it's very difficult to stop your thing from getting Flusterstormed. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll I'll agree to that. I'll agree to that. Flusterstorm probably better than just yeah. Definitely see a lot of soul crushing Flusterstorms. Like oh, oh of course okay. it's it, Flusterstorm. It's <laughs> the every, one it's, out it's of either, one it's either, two is exactly Flusterstorm blown out. Yeah, the the two the two sets of counterspells that I hate are when I'm trying to resolve at a Academy Rector and somebody just has the mana drain, <laughs> or when I'm trying to resolve a flash and literally the only thing that will stop it is a Flusterstorm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so if um, uncounterable counterspells are good, counter uh, what's it called counterflux. Yeah, Counterflux. Over, yep. overwhelming to the one with Surge that casts for blue blue. Get yeah. Em. Hell yeah. <laughs> isn't there a what isn't what's the uh the red green or that's, the red that's blue one? Uh, counterflux. Yeah. No no, there's the other one that uh is uncounterable and counters yeah, everything that's on the stack. What do you overload it? Is yeah. that Are you thinking of counter okay. squall, which is well, the black one that hurts dead. your opponent? That's no, just negate. I'm, yeah, that's I'm, negate for I'm sure Honestly, I ran that in Kess for a while. Not, is not, not actually bad. We we are currently considering it for the next best counter spell slot in Four Color Rashmi, just because it is effectively just another copy of the Yeah, game. yeah, I can see it. And and sort of has some like semi synergy ish with did Sig, kill someone with of. it once. Oh, the counter spell? <laughs> yep. Oh, God. <laughs> They went for they went for a do we do we even want to they just know how? they were almost dead and they went for a desperation like tried to win I think they might have had no or no they didn't have nauseam I forget why they were almost dead they had a good reason to be almost dead and then they just tried to win it was like counter squall I guess you die got him okay well we have absolutely been this conversation has gone so far so long like, yeah. This. And it's great, and we still have another part of it to go, because the Counterskull discussion, going into specifically Four Color Ashmi or stuff like that, is a great segue to the last part of this discussion. I mean, which is? It's not, I don't think it's not great to say, but whatever. <laughs> no, it's, it's just, because Counterskull is, is, is just, it's color specific, right? We're talking about, the, yeah, the last, yeah, yeah, last yeah, thing but, we talk about it's, is it's counter magic that's unique to decks. <laughs> so this is, this is counter magic typically with really uh, demanding costs that typically most decks won't be able to pay. Demanding conditions, um, I think, would be a or, Yes. I mean, some of them are conditions, some of them are costs. <laughs> so, Andor, Andor Abjure, just, Abjure is, is British, just jumping right into it. Abjure is, uh, is something that sees play pretty much only in Edric. Um, hey, Yuriko. And Yuriko. <laughs> and uh, so Abjure, the, uh, the cost there is that you have to sacrifice a blue permanent you control. And obviously but you get the great uh benefit of it being a for a single blue counter target spell now which is pretty good. that would be great that'd be great just to have you know without, if you didn't have that cost but you know even even if you can afford to pay that cost absolutely worth running right and 
afford to pay that cost consistently. Yes, is yes. the key part of that. There. Um, and and these are these are these are things that uh, these are counter spells. I wouldn't say they're they're overlooked. I feel like the decks that um, that can run them or, or that should be running them are all. Um, yeah, they 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 already use them fairly to fairly good effect, and anything else that isn't running them has good reason to not. Yeah, be running we've them. also got we've also got um, stubborn denial in here, and that's uh, that's something that sees play in Tasker because you've consistently got and, access to and and we've gotten one um, big old island boy. That's okay, not a real thing. So, uh, cut that cut that out of the podcast. Yeah, Slept <laughs> on. I have won games with it. It is a yeah, real thing. Okay. It's as real as Goreclaw. Let me just... It has one card infinite mana combos. I don't know how you can't love that. <laughs> but yeah, Stubborn, stubborn Dude, Denial is... Uh, so good, but yeah. Stubborn Denial is something that, you know... I mean, a, a, a Force Spike? It's not? Force Spike? Force Spike will get there sometimes. <laughs> so even if it's not on, just you know... get him. One mana days, yeah. let's go. And then um, getting, getting access to uh, having just a one mana... Counterspell for a blue is well, it's a one minute for a single blue counterspell. Oh, it's, it's negate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's negate. Still very good. One minute negate is pretty yeah, great. Yeah, and then when you have uh, consistent access to a uh, card like Tassiger, that four power for one mana, somewhat of a value engine, then definitely worth it. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's too much more to say about these besides some other examples. No, no, no. no. We we gotta go through them. Okay. So, spell rupture. One in a blue, instant. Counter target spell unless its controller pays X, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. Now, can you guys guess where this is a fantastic spell? There is no deck where it is a fantastic spell. It may work it's, very well in starts, the deck, but the deck starts, is sufficiently. It starts with an A. <laughs> And it is my boy Eryxmethes, part two electric boogaloo. Okay, quick tip. The best thing about Stubborn Denial and Spell Rapture and Eryxmethes, just saying, is that you can cast them while Eryxmethes is still a land, and with with them being cast, take the last counter off of him and make him become a creature. Oh my god. And then yes, it'll as count long as you it. So like, you can use them. This is literally like primal amulet as a condition. Like Yeah. But it's great. I, I mean, I did about. run Primal Amulet as a fun hub for a while, but it's. Did you guys like? Did you guys know that Eryxmethes is basically just a high tide in the command zone because you can frantic search with them out and make uh, mana? Oh God, it's so good. <laughs> have you ever have you ever snapped something with oh Eryxmethes on the board no. and then use okay. that extra mana thing. I was, to win the game? Because I have. And I was going to say great. no. I've never done that because I play good decks. And the thing is, I don't even play good decks. I play some really <laughs> <Don't>. terrible <laughs> decks. I will Casting never play a Hey, that deck's that deck works. It does its thing. Eryxmethes is awesome. He's basically a hybrid between Solvala, Heart of the Wilds, and Rashmi. He's like the worst half of both of those cards put together. (laughs) He's so good. You can Life's Legacy your commander for two mana and draw 12 cards. That's insane. Oh man, for the low, low cost of six mana. You know what? In Goreclaw, you can Life's Legacy Galta and draw 12 cards. Yeah, but Galta isn't your commander. Although, it, oh, Galta oh. Fishing, oh. that's a real deck. <laughs> Guys, we think we've come up with something you, here. I don't know. No, no, no. I have already come up with this. Do you want to see my no, list? No, no, please. Don't we're, subject we're putting me. this no. in the podcast. I've definitely also <laughs> played around with Galta Food Chain. Okay. 
We're yeah, getting boy. into absolute meme territory, and we've already lost okay, all, all right, of our all listeners right. because this, this subject was got so boring. You got you got so bringing into it, the depth. Of, it, only yeah. Okay, let's just get out of here. Bringing this back no. around. No, 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 no. no, no. no. We're just moving no, 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 no. on. This this is a real oh, one. Okay, this is a real fine. one. Okay, evasive action, one in a blue, counter target spell unless it's a controller owner pays X, where X is the number of basic land types you control. This is actually sort of interesting in Agila. To be fair, I don't think it's particularly great, but I think it is a thing that it exists. No, that that deck runs a lot of like rainbow lands and stuff like that. Yeah, it feels like it's yeah, a, like a lot, lot of the time it's just mana leak. You pretty consistently get up to four types though, so like it's it's one better than mana leak, which is like pretty good. Sometimes it's one better than mana leak. And then someone yeah, plays a blood. I, I think a, I think it's wah, I, wah. I think fairly consistently because Najila Najila will fairly consistently get two duels that don't share colors just because that's how the deck wants to function anyway. So I think you can fairly consistently call it a mana leak plus one. Huh. I guess fine. not that it makes it particularly good. Yeah, but, <laughs> you know what? Whatever. Boom. Okay. Guess what, guys? Guess what? It's time for gut check. The surprise. The surprise topic, randomly interspersed throughout our episode. Okay. So in this, in this, uh, in this topic or in this segment, um, I get to ask you guys a question. You get to give me a response, but no justification. And we're gonna hear from what our listeners think as well in our Discord. So uh, here we go. Should non-control decks that already run card advantage engines such as Dark Confidant be considering compost as well? No. Yes. <laughs> yes. Still on the wooden side. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Team sick robot. Uh, so then moving on into our next topic, and that is what constitutes a primer. So this is a bit of a... Um, Subject that we've we've discussed in private in the past, and that's because there's um there's there's some some things going on in the, in the competitive community and on on the Reddit specifically where people kind of just you know new deck comes out, bam, primer for Vanifar like that's <laughs> and and we have, we have some yeah we out. we have some problems with 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 the way people are using the terms primer right now and so this is this is topic slash rant. So let's just, you know, jump into it as Philip and Franklin would say. Okay, so... <laughs> uh, so I think first we, have, we should probably define what a primer is, right? Yeah, because that's I, a lot, I think a lot the of the description tends to be from. very relevant yeah. to this. Yeah. Why don't so we look at the... A primer... Let me... Let, let's pull up I'm the way dictionary. ahead of you. A primer oh is God. an <laughs> elementary textbook that serves as an introduction to a subject of study or is used for teaching children to read. Probably not so much the second one. <laughs> so, an elementary I textbook mean, that serves as books. an introduction to a subject of study. Yeah. So, first of all, I, th I think a really good way to look at this is, first of all, how how experienced do you have to be and how much knowledge do you have to have about a deck to be able to write a textbook on it, yeah. right? Like, who writes textbooks? Experts. <laughs> Teaching assistants. <Exactly. laughs> if my experience has been anything to go by. But yeah, the, the idea is that you can't... A, a, fresh, a fresh commander, brand new subject, right? Like, you can't just be like, okay, here's the definitive primer, or here's, here's what, like... It's, it's such uncharted territory... 
that that claiming the putting the primer tag on it is just misleading. And especially if you're not primers primers are also just, you know, like five like one paragraph of explanation about your combo. That's not a primer. Right? You need to go into more in-depth some like we there's tons of great examples of primers. Like Leftist's primer is massive for Get Rock. So in-depth. And you know, maybe a bit out of date now, but like it's certainly still like the go-to resource for Git Rock players. Now, if his if his entire primer was just assemble Git Rock plus Dac or plus Discard Outlet, <laughs> I'd have some I'd have some problems. You know, like that's that's not what we think of when we think of a primer. Yeah, and, and certainly yeah. <laughs> the point of this is not to discourage anyone from writing a primer. Um, it's just to sort of let people know that you know we want it's great that people want to produce content and help. Um, but you should make sure that when you're producing content to help a, that you like, you are someone who's qualified to produce that content. Um, so you, you know, you have some experience with the deck and you, you know, been tinkering. Um, and also that you provide the help in a way that's useful for the people you're trying to help. Because when you write down just sort of, you know, some combo lines, you understand the deck, you understand how you're getting to those combo lines, like how you get to the start point of your combo line, you understand the game plan. But if I've never, if I'm looking at your deck, it's like, okay, I get that I have to assemble these three cards, but like, how do I get there? What do I do on turn three? Like, am I just tapping out and trying to tutor and draw as many cards as possible? Am I holding up, you know, what interaction do I have? How do I, you know, play around certain things? Um, Why do you run these cards over these cards? You know, some single card discussion. Yeah, I think it's it's important that yeah. uh, you help people. And I also want to shout out uh, the Primer Primer that is linked on the CEDH Reddit. Uh, it's a great explanation of what people are really looking for in a primer. So if you do want to write a primer and you're not sure what you should include, uh, I'd recommend checking that out. And I believe it is Maynard who wrote that. It is Maynard. Thank, big thanks to Maynard for that. Yeah, man. Shout out to Maynard. Maynard is a content okay. monster. But yeah, getting onto that, I think yeah, it's a lot of it is making sure that the primer that you are writing is a actually going to be a fully comprehensive introduction to the deck, and also that it's going to be accurately a fully comprehensive introduction to the deck. Right? Uh, I think, like to a degree, I. I'm and I'm I'm not being elitist here or anything like that, or at least I'm not trying to be. But I think the the idea of a primer has a certain amount of weight that is carried with it, and I think it's the person who's writing its responsibility to carry that. And I think a lot of that is being experienced with the deck, knowing the ins and outs, and being able to explain it like to a, a fairly high degree of complexity, but also be able to dumb it down and make sure that people understand what you're talking about when you're talking about the deck and like just making sure that it is again the, sort of like the definition of what a comprehensive introduction yeah to the concept of the deck is right yeah make sure make sure you're not writing just the last four chapters of the textbook uh you're writing the whole thing or the first three, or even or just, just the, the page that has all table the equations. contents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need to actually teach people and instruct Appen them. Appendix A. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like that's that's kind of what there's what there was all to be said about. 
primers in our little mini rant. It's yeah, we summed it up. We summed it up pretty well. You know, just just yeah. make sure that it's not all about the yeah, internet points, you, man. Just it's not first well, person to to write a blog of text and uh, and just so you can get that stay on that tapped out grind, get those upvotes, those Reddit that Reddit karma. Like it's actually actually think about is is this something that I want to put my quality seal of approval in my name on? You know, be proud of be proud of what. And you also, mean. also, this we're not necessarily discouraging people from doing write-ups of say like this is how a deck works on a basic level or anything like that or publishing lists of their own oh yeah you like i, I that in your would highly anyway, just sure. but just don't call it yeah but yeah, yeah. I, I i'd say re, like just refrain from tagging your thing as a primer unless it is fully in-depth took you a while to go through and it's edit right and make sure it was all yeah. <laughs> like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. The barrier to entry is struggling with tapped out for like a good month and making sure that nothing is absolutely broken. Okay, and moving on to listener questions. Okay, so from Manta Ray Hat, we have what's your opinion on running 5 Conan and Ajila for a Shovel Hulk deck? Shovel Hulk being unique because you can win on someone else's end step, can really take advantage of cards like Sneak Attack to combo, and Fire Covenant and Terminate to deal with threats. Do you think this is uh, more worth running than Tim Nathrasio since the commander is more of a win con in itself and less of a toolbox? Okay, so I think before so. we get into the actual discussion, let's just let's just cover uh, get a few things out of the way, and that's uh, one, uh, Terminate to deal with threats. I don't think Terminate is something you want to run. Um, Fire Covenant is... Good, but I've I've kind of been souring on on Fire Covenant a bit. Uh, I I, th I think Fire Covenant. I think okay. So I think Fire Covenant is a reason to be in red if you are considering going to red for any reason. I think you have like exactly five reasons to go into red for Hulk, yeah. right? Like red as a color. Uh, this is just prece preceding any discussion on specific decks or, uh, you know, like commanders or whatever. Is that like you're only the only things you're really going to be gaining from going into uh, red for a Hulk deck is uh, primarily Red Elemental Blast, Gamble, and Fire Covenant, and like you know uh, Power Blast, and then secondarily maybe Sneak Attack if that's what you're looking at. Yeah, um, I think the main reason to go into Najila for Shuffle or for Shuffle Hulk. I don't know about Shuffle Hulk necessarily. Um, but just Hulk so, more so generally, thing, I think yeah. that so you you could so you let's could get a let's nice, talk shuffle uh, specifically first. Okay, sure, we, sure, we yeah, can cover talk in general later. Hulk, shuffle Hulk specifically. So uh, here's a problem with uh, shuffle Hulk and Najila is that you gain the red cards. Yes. Um, thing is, the red elemental blasts are already sort of iffy just because you so shuffle as a strategy lends itself to sandbagging a lot, which means that like you don't necessarily need a high density of counter magic because Flash is a really good counter spell when you have a Hulk in hand. Um and so you're so personally anyway in my experience, I've already found that you want a fairly low density of counter magic. You just need enough to get by. So you probably aren't replacing any of the best stuff in your deck with the red elemental blasts anyway. Uh, so you're really only gaining the option of Gamble, which I will admit is a good card, um, in the deck. You're gaining Fire Covenant. We already 
don't really play Toxic Deluge 100% of the time, so I'm not sure how relevant that could be. Would you really run? Yeah, I don't know if you'd run Fire Covenant. Oh, I'd definitely run Fire Covenant. I would actually probably run Fire Covenant over Toxic Deluge. Yeah, over Deluge. Because of instant speed and all that stuff. But yeah, it's. No. It's Deluge is a meta call. Yeah, it's a A lot of the time. So it's, yeah, so it's it's sort of iffy there. So really, the real things that you're looking at gaining for shuffle specifically are sneak attack and gamble. Which so when you're looking at that, porting the shell over, and not making any other changes to that, Najila doesn't offer anything over Timna specifically, yeah. right? Just because when you're playing shuffle and really any hulk deck timna is such a valuable part of your strategy <laughs> in so many ways where it, like you get to keep all these just I, I i'll admit i've i've won with absolutely terrible hands just because it had a dork and white and black man in it because they're just like okay i'm just gonna slam timna and draw an extra two cards per turn and just hope that i outvalue the rest of the table and draw into good stuff and i did because timna is a good card um and when you swap that over to Najila, you just don't you, you miss that ability to just keep mediocre hands so much and it then becomes like you're, you're not really gaining anything like you're not really getting anything back from the command zone aside from like pressuring life totals and maybe forcing people to combo it in opportune times yeah the the main the main benefit of what or what i perceive to be the main benefit of going into hulk not necessarily shuffle hulk could be shuffle hulk, but uh just a hulk uh plan in in Najila is that you get access to something that Najila doesn't really have so if Najila is is quite compact as a uh with, with win cons right you've got your Derevi your Nature's Will um and your Druid's Repository and it doesn't require like really many slots in the deck at all and it's really resilient so the one the one thing you, you're losing on is on speed Right, so Najila just isn't as fast as a lot of the uh, the faster decks in the format. So adding in Hulk allows you to compete on that axis while also having access to the um, to the more resilient uh, win cons as a secondary plan A, depending on how things shape out. So my my specific problem with that line of thinking being that. Hulk just makes something faster, so you should put it in if you have the deck space. Uh, is that at that point, I don't believe that you're playing Hulk in the most optimal way that you can be, just by putting it into a deck to make the deck faster. Should that maybe not be optimal? Like, have... How many optimals? So, in in in, if I was to take like just shuffle Hulk for example, okay, yep. and I was to take out five cards. I can yep. take out five cards without necessarily taking away the whole core of the deck. It might not be the optimal Hulk list because it's not a list completely optimized for Hulk. But if I just put in the uh, the cards for Najila, you know, my my combo cards, even I can even go into less combo cards and you know maybe like maybe you want to avoid Forbidden Tutors, maybe not. I'm not sure, but you you run uh, let's say you do run your Forbidden Tutors just to have access to that 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 win option then. You're not comp you're, you're compromising the integrity, but not to a significant degree, right? And you get access to you, you you can fight on a completely different axis. But why why not just then put alternate win cons into a deck with Timnet at the helm instead? 
right? Because a lot like, of your alternate play... Wicons aren't as resilient as Najima Wincons. Uh, I wouldn't say Najima's Wincons are particularly resilient. I'd say they, they're very card efficient and they're very easily accessible. Yeah, they're, well, that, and I mean, that's why, they, right? Because yeah. Najima combos are so card and slot efficient that, like, putting in a, a two-card combo with an outlet into, as your backup plan with Tim at the helm is just a lot harder to assemble than, like, Derevi I win. Sure, but you're trading that for not having access to Timna, so you're basically trading away... Which I think is fine. Well, you're, you're, that, that, just that and Thrasios. So. Yeah, I, I think that's a real trade, so, not uh, an obvious so, yeah. one way or the other. Yeah, so you're, so you're losing... So, my... My... My thing is that, like, the reason why Najila typically is okay with making the switch to Najila from, like, four-color... Like, the reason why you would play Najila over Timna is because you're okay with losing your explicit card advantage in the, in the command zone because you're gaining a lot of implicit and a lot of, like, a lot of virtual card advantage just because of your combo pieces being very compact and you because of that you get to have a very high card quality right that's what you could use the advantage you could use that advantage that gives you to go for a really high card quality or you could run something that lets you fight on a different axis in terms of speed like flash hulk no, no, no. but but that's not no 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 because you're not gaining advantage you're swapping one type of yeah advantage yeah i'm the saying other. you you swap yeah, your, yeah. your your card quality for the ability to fight on a different axis that being hulk no 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 but what I'm saying is, from by swapping from Timna to Najila, you're not you're not actually gaining anything. You're just changing your card advantage from explicit card advantage to implicit and virtual card advantage. And by then taking away that virtual card advantage because you're no longer you no longer have the combo quality or the card quality. Uh, you have no. I thought there's lost the, the, the virtual card advantage, card advantage came there. from the compactness of the combo, not from the card. It, it comes from. It comes from the compactness of the win cons because you don't have to run dead cards to play those win cons. Because it because your win cons are so compact and require so few cards to actually be played in the deck and require so few deck slots that you then get to run every other card in your deck as a good card. And you no longer have to run bad combo pieces like Hulk pieces. I mean, the reason why Hulk gets away with running bad pieces like Hulk pieces is because it's fast. And because it has an explicit card advantage, it has that advantage, as a fallback. Which means that it, it doesn't. Like... No, it has that as a, something that you rely on in actually a majority of games. Where Timna, the reason why you're okay with not having good card quality for a lot of the time is yes, because of the speed, but also because you have very, very good card quality and or card engines in the command zone that make up for that fact. That make up just the raw number of cards that you draw makes up for the bad card quality in a lot of cases. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's just going to be an agree-to-disagree kind well, of Well, okay, but I, I think that, like, if you just put a Hulk package in Najila, you also aren't running a lot of other, let's say, not super great... Like, Shuffle Hulk's cards that enable it to win that are what you would term low quality cards are certainly a lot more than just the like than breakfast and the narc amoeba and 
the uh, like shuffle. So shuffle is two slots more efficient than breakfast. Sorry, from my most. Well, so it depends on what you count. Like, are you put? You when you run, play Nijilo, are you running Academy Rector? Are you running Pattern of Rebirth? How much redundancy? I'm, I'm not saying that you have to. Like... I'm just. I'm. I'm not. I'm not saying that you have to. I'm just saying. Uh, it, no matter what. Like no matter what flash hog package you're running, it's going to come with some number. Yes, of parts. but unless okay. you're running sacred, but I'm saying, which doesn't if you, exist in. If you things. put, I mean, you, you like could theoretically not a bad layer. Right? No, you, you have to you, cut you, Derevi. You lose, lose Derevi. You um, can't. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, that hurts. But it hurts way too much. Like what I'm saying is, you could cut a lot of the sort of support package that's there to enable the Hulk death trigger. That is stuff like pattern rector. Extra sack yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. So you don't run I'm, that. I'm saying. You no. Know, I'm. I'm not saying. I'm not saying shuffle to Najila. I'm saying Hulk in general to Najila because yeah, shuffle is very slot intensive. But even for something like, uh, what do we like? What people usually port over would be is, what? Uh, like some people do Revelark loops, or uh, Kiki might actually be more slot efficient. I'm not sure. Uh, probably. You're still. You're still burning four to five card slots on that, which is a lot of card slots. Right. That's that's that still, is a lot of that, that is a lot of card I, slots. But I think that like saying you're burning, you're burning five card slots, and then another three to have this really efficient backup. Like you have eight win slots in your deck, and two very threatening win lines that attack on different angles. Versus you have how many slots dedicated to winning in in Shuffle Hulk and more card advantage. Like I think that that's a real trade that has to be considered, not a not just a like oh you're losing the best part for something insignificant. Yeah. Like it's not yeah. insignificant. That's, yeah, that's, but... that's 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 I I'm I'm in agreement with you. Yeah. It's pretty much summarizes my views as well. So the other argument here would be because we're not obviously for the viewers listening to you spell it out. Uh we're we're not going to agree on this point specifically. Um, six hour episode but the the other <laughs> <laughs> just done the the other point that uh, could be made here is that uh the Najila flashhog deck is a deck that is less than the sum of its parts uh just in general because you could make the argument that those five slots contribute to Najila being better. Uh, like as a standalone tempo deck, and the not having a card advantage engine is just worse. Yes, you're not necessarily just trying to make it a standalone, standalone tempo. Deck. That feels like more of an assertion than an argument. Like you might be right. I don't know. I haven't played either of the decks enough to come to a conclusion. But I think that it's easy to like just because the deck is worse on one angle than one deck and on another angle than another deck doesn't mean it's worse than both of those decks. Yeah, sure. Okay, so that wraps it up for listener questions, and I guess that brings our episode five to a close. Uh, hit us up over Discord. Um, that's going to be linked in the podcast description. Uh, email us at into the north podcast at gmail.com. Give us feedback. We love to hear from you guys. Give us listener questions. Give us future topics you want us to cover, or just chat with us. You know, we 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 uh, love to participate on uh, the Discord. Really easy to reach us. Um, we're on the uh, CDH subreddit, uh, we're on the CDH Discord, we're on the PlayDH Discord. Uh, I play webcam games, so does Spleen. Sick is playing on Trice over at the CDH Discord. Um, so yeah, you can play games with us, reach out, 
all that good jazz. Okay, uh, we'll see you guys in a month. See ya. See ya. See you then.